We're going to talk about uh, peace this morning, and I'm guessing that we would all agree that our world needs more peace. Our country needs more peace, our community needs more peace, our families need more peace, and each one of us could probably use more peace inside. All kinds of forces wage war in our inner world. Erwin McManus describes our situation with these words, we struggle with envy because we want a life that is, that is not ours. We struggle with greed because we want to possess what is not ours to have. We struggle with identity because we don't know who we are outside of what we do. And we struggle with loneliness because we are searching for love rather than giving it. So our our focus this morning is on a scene from the Old Testament where peace seems to be out of reach. Uh, I'm reading from Judges chapter 6, just right at the beginning. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. See, right there is a formula for living with little to no peace. The people of God, his chosen nation, were not living up to their family name, and their ungodly neighbors were taking over, so peace was a rare commodity. For a moment, I want you to consider the level of peace in your life. How much peace do you feel right now? There's certainly no shortage of reasons to lack peace. Conflicts across the globe, family divisions because of responses to COVID, political division always brewing, fear of saying the wrong thing and being canceled, anxiety among students who've experienced two plus years of uncertainty every day at school. Empty shelves at the grocery, rising prices for the basic things you need daily. Uh, what, what's in it, what is it in your life that's distracting your peace or disrupting your peace or maybe even derailing your peace? Jesus made this encouraging statement about peace during his ministry in John 14. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus hands us peace. He is offering us his peace. And he shows a path away from feeling troubled and fearful. And that path is within our reach. He makes it available to each one of us. The question is, will you and I choose to accept it, possess it, maybe even embrace it? For those of us who struggle to find and feel peace, I have another person from the Older Testament today that I'd like you to meet. And his name is Gideon. You can read about him primarily in Judges 6 and 7. Uh, Gideon is a man of God used to help Israel win a, a huge battle over some thug neighbors, the Midianites. And I want you to see the process he experienced, a process initiated and authored by God. It's a process with peace at its core. The first verse we read this moments ago uh, clearly lays the background of a scene where peace would be hard to find. Israel is not honoring the God who chose them And they're being bullied by the Midianites. The Midianites were bad news. I mean, every year for the past seven years, they show up at harvest time and they take whatever they want from the Israelites. They take the crops they want and destroy the rest. They take the livestock they want and kill the rest. The sheep, the donkeys, the oxen, the camels. Verse 5 of Judges 6 says, They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. These are some bad dudes and there are hordes of them. Whenever they show up, the Israelites go into hiding into the side of the mountain. They look for caves and clefts and ridges 
wherever they could tuck in, they were living a caveman existence when the Midianites showed up. And every year these buzzards came, seven years straight. This is a scorched earth campaign. Israel is worn out. And eventually they cry out to the Lord for help. Unfortunately, this storyline is too common in our lives. Though at one time we followed God, now not so much. You see, culture has crept in. And we have become desensitized and allured and enticed to the point that there's not much visible difference between us and those who aren't kingdom people, those who aren't on Team Jesus. Culture's views about marriage and family have slowly nudged your outdated views to the sidelines. Culture's ideas about gender have slowly displaced your seemingly irrelevant views to the bench. Your view of worth has become closely tied to your abundance of possession and your accumulation of wealth. And honestly, too many Christians don't think of self less. We don't sacrifice much for others. We too rarely put in a good word for Jesus. You need to know this. The law of the harvest is unavoidable. It is unbeatable. Like a trump card that's plays in our lot, that's played in our lives. And that law of the harvest is defined in Galatians 6. Paul says, Don't be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please the sinful nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. When the law of the harvest comes to bear on our lives, the consequences of our actions, our thoughts, our shifting values hit. We do what Israel does. We cry out to the Lord for help because we need some peace. Israel shouldn't be surprised this is happening. This very consequence was laid out for them in earlier days. There's a section in Deuteronomy I want to read to you, which is preceded by these words. If you do not obey the Lord your God and carefully follow his commands, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. So that's, that's what precedes Deuteronomy 28. Here's the curse, which is to overtake them. At midday, you will grope, around, you will grope about like a blind man in the dark. You will be unsuccessful in everything you do. Day after day, you'll be oppressed and robbed with no one to rescue you. Your ox will be slaughtered before your eyes, but you'll eat none of it. Your donkey will be forcefully, forcefully taken from you and will not be returned. Your sheep will be given to your enemies and no one will rescue them. A people that you do not know will eat what your land and labor produce and you will have nothing but cruel oppression all of your days. That sounds nearly exactly what happened to Israel, doesn't it? God will not be mocked. We will reap what we sow. They can't escape the law of the harvest. When God hears their cry for help, he responds in a strange way. He sends them a prophet. Now, that would be like responding to your call to AAA for roadside assistance, and they send a preacher instead of a mechanic. Israel doesn't want a prophet to show up. They prefer a warrior to come to their aid, some sort of rescuer. In verse 7, when the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt, from the hand of your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I'm the Lord, your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you lived. But you have not listened to me. God knows what Israel thinks they need is not what they truly need. What they need is to understand why they're in this situation. And, godly clearly, and God clearly says this, you have not listened to me. 
We have, we have three river birches in our front yard at our house. Back in the early 2000s, right about when we moved in, we had an ice storm. Some of you guys remember that. The river birches at that time fell in the driveway. They were laying out there across the yard in the driveway. Alvin kindly came over and helped slice them up and get rid of the remains with his chainsaw. And my dad advised me very clearly, do not replant river birches. They're way too messy. They're always dropping something. They're always, you're always cleaning up after them. Marty's like, yeah, they're a mess. That's, that's right. But I like the way they looked. So I replaced what fell with three more river birches. <laughs> and now every year, year after year, we're picking stuff up that's fallen from those trees all the year long. All winter, we pick up branches and twigs off the driveway and the road that broke in the break in the tree. Then in the springtime, there's blooms all over the driveway. Then in the fall, there's that oatmeal seed stuff that's everywhere. And I say to Mary often, I wish I had listened to my dad. But I knew better, you know? I knew better. This unnamed prophet says to Israel, you should have listened to your dad. If you had listened, you wouldn't be in this situation. Have you ever been confused by an answer God gives you? Or maybe even annoyed by the answer God gives you. A thought that's hard to swallow is this. Sometimes we need understanding more than we need relief. Sometimes we need insight more than we need rescue. Here's a line from a, a commentary written by Dale Davis. Understanding God's holiness is more important than the absence of pain. We may want a way out of a bind, whereas God wants us to see our idolatry. God means to instruct us, not pacify us. So God sends a prophet, not a rescuer. The next thing that happens, well, an angel shows up, and he has a conversation with this guy named Gideon. And after hearing the prophet's message of accusation, you'd kind of expect the angel to drop a message of condemnation on Israel, but that's, that's not what happens. Instead, we hear a message of peace. For anyone drowning in a peaceless pit, if you're listening, I want you to see the spirit in which God shows up to Gideon. He comes in a spirit of peace, not accusation. Don't miss the word spoken to Gideon. You can read them in verse 12 of Judges 6. He says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now let's review for a moment. Israel is being oppressed by the Midianites because of their choice not to honor God. They're not following his ways. They're hiding out for the sake of their lives in the hills. And this has been going on for seven years. Seven years of plundering the harvest and their livestock. And they cry out to God for help, and God sends a prophet. And a prophet tells them why they're in this situation. Then God sends an angel, which may be the Lord himself, with a mission for Gideon. But first he gives Gideon a promise. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And that leads Gideon to ask the same question we ask. In verse 13, Gideon says, if the Lord is with us, why is all this bad stuff happening? It seems like the Lord instead has abandoned us. This question is often at the crux of our lack of peace. We wonder where God is. We wonder if he cares. We wonder if he is aware. And if he does know what's going on, why doesn't he do something about it? Seldom do we find sufficient answers to questions like these. And the lack of answers fuels a lack of peace. The next, the next message from the angel causes Gideon even more anxiety. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save 
Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Think about that phrase. Go in the strength you have. I like that. God didn't expect Gideon to muster up superhuman strength. He didn't criticize him for a lack of strength or a lack of courage. He tells Gideon, I will take you as you are with the strength that you have and send you out. So once again, as we see throughout the Bible, the person being called is not all that jazzed about being chosen for a difficult task. Moses didn't want to go pay a visit to Pharaoh. Jonah didn't want the Ninevites to have any hope. Esther didn't want to impose herself on the king. Ananias wanted nothing to do with meeting Saul. Peter wanted nothing to do with the Gentiles. But that's why God calls us specifically sometimes, because we would never do the mission he has for us on our own. Gideon wasted no time deflecting the task that he's been handed. Verse 15, but Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Every one of us has a legitimate excuse for not doing what God is asking us to do when the thing he wants us to do is not what we want to do. I'll say that again, a little slower. Every one of us has a legitimate excuse for not doing what God is asking us to do when the thing he wants us to do is what we don't want to do. We're afraid, we're uncomfortable, we're unfamiliar, we failed too much, we failed too greatly. We sincerely believe we're the wrong person, all of which makes us exactly the right person in God's eyes because when we're weak, then what? He's strong. You get the idea from reading your Bible that inadequacy and weakness is a necessary prerequisite for for fulfilling God's plan for your life. Look at the next statement from the angel in verse 16, who now seems to be the Lord and not just an angel. He says to him, I will be with you. Let's say that together. I will be with you. I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Now remember, this is a time of little to no peace for Israel as a nation and for Gideon as a citizen of Israel. When he hears this line from the Lord, I will be with you, this, this promise undoubtedly provided a, a boost of peace to Gideon. However, he was still greatly overwhelmed at the thought of this mission. So he asked the Lord for a sign to confirm his identity, kind of like flashing a badge. You know, he needs to see some credentials. As we live our lives doing our best to be sensitive to God's leading, trying to follow his voice and his nudges, we will invariably be hit with an experience like Gideon's. He feels inadequate. He feels too weak to do what God seems to be asking. And I know, I know many of you have had that same feeling. You feel unqualified and unprepared for the path God is laying out for you. The enemy is too huge, the road too steep, the current too swift. And you feel pretty much alone. And that's how Gideon felt. Too insignificant, too young, too weak. And God says, perfect. You're just the guy I was looking for. From this point in the narrative, God is very intentional. I believe we can expect the same from God when we're in a similar situation. And what we see is very clear. God gives Gideon peace. He gives him the gift of peace to carry with him throughout the mission when he feels too young and when he feels woefully unprepared and when he feels weak and inadequate. 
when Gideon gets the assignment, he wants to make sure God is who he says he is, so he asks for a sign. Verse 17, Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. And the next thing to happen is that God tells Gideon to prepare a sacrifice. And Gideon does, he builds an altar, he puts a young goat on the altar, and then God lights up the sacrifice with his staff. No flint, no match. The text says, fire flamed from, a ro- from the rock. And Gideon knew, O sovereign Lord, I've seen an angel of the Lord face to face. And the first word out of the mouth of the Lord, right there in verse 23, is peace. Don't be afraid. Gideon, you're not going to die. And Gideon builds an altar on that spot of land and calls it Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. Peace. That's what Gideon is given as he heads into this overwhelming mission. And that's the first sign of affirmation for Gideon, an affirmation which undergirds this gift of presence, uh, of peace from God. As Gideon continues down this road, his knees get a little shaky again, which leads to the second sign of affirmation. Verse 36, Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, you know, Gideon sounds like he needs a little reassurance. His peace is, is wearing off a bit. He's beginning to feel his weakness rise to the surface instead of the promise of the Lord. I'll be with you, mighty warrior. Verse 37, if you'll save Israel by my hand as you promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there's dew on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I'll know you will save Israel by my hand as you said. And the text reads, and that is what happened. So what do you think? Is this request rooted in unbelief? Or is it more hesitancy? Gideon is about to jump off a bridge in obedience to the Lord. So he asked the guy putting on the harness, are you sure this is going to hold me? Gideon is hesitant. He's not faithless. So the Lord supplies his request and his next one too. He asked the Lord to make the fleece dry and the ground wet, and that's what happens. And so peace is on the rise again. The next section shows how creative God is in the way that he deals with us. Preparing for battle, Gideon calls together about 32,000 soldiers. And God tells him that's too many to take into battle. He wants the army small enough so there's no mistake as to who gets credit for the victory. So God directs Gideon to whittle down the numbers. So first the army shrinks from 32,000 to 10,000. God says it's still too many. Next the army shrinks down some more. Another 9,700 are sidelined and 300 are left to battle the Midianites. Now, there's nothing more noble or fierce or disciplined than these 300 whom God chose. Remember, this is about weakness. It's about winning a battle through God's strength and man's weakness. Going against the Midianites, whose camels are too numerous to count, with 300 troops is definitely a display of weakness. So let's, let's hit the pause button for a moment and think about this. Our tendency is to take credit, isn't it? When we win at something, we believe we won because we're more clever, uh, we're more powerful, we're more disciplined, we're more prepared. It's like the way a totally unathletic sports fan somehow takes credit for the natty by saying, we won the championship. No, we didn't do anything. We were a couch potato eating chips and drinking Mountain Dew and yelling at the referees on the TV. We had zero to do with this victory. But that's what we do, isn't it? We, we take credit. God wants there to be zero doubt as to who gets credit for this win. 
So we have 300 Israelites against the Midianite army described as numerous as a swarm of locusts. And once again, peace becomes elusive for Gideon, which leads to the fourth sign of affirmation. In, verse seven of chap- in chapter 7, verse 10 of Judges, God says to Gideon, If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they're saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. I like that line, if you are afraid. That's a, that's a very gentle way for the Lord to speak to him, isn't it? I mean, who, who wouldn't be afraid? 300 versus a swarm. Sometimes what we see God wanting us to do is just plain crazy for any number of reasons. It may not make sense. It may not be understood by others. We may be made fun of. It might look fanatical. Of course we're afraid. Of course we have little peace. And God knows that about, that, about us, so... Look what he does next. Gideon heads down to the Midianite camp. Uh, verse 13, Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing more than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped God. That, that's the coolest thing. It, that's sign number four. God, God is so creative in the way he infuses us with peace. He does this for Gideon through a guy's dream about a roll of dough taking out an army. Uh, and I love this straightforward response. When he heard the dream, he worshiped God, the Lord of peace, Jehovah Shalom. Verse 15, he returned to the camp of Israel and he called out, get up, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Who did Gideon say has done this? The Lord has given. There's no doubt about it. 300 against a swarm of Midianites. As an exclamation point to the fact that there'll be absolutely no mistake about who gets credit for this victory, check out this weapons list. No machine guns, no RPGs, no grenade launchers, no artillery, no smart bombs, not even a sharp stick. Here's the weapons list. These 300 Israelites are going to pack into battle against a swarm of Midianites whose camels outnumber the sands of the seashore. And you know these 300 warriors were getting excited about how they're going to win this battle. They can't wait to hear Gideon's strategy, so he lays it on them. He lays it on them. He says, here are the weapons we're going to take into battle. Number one, a trumpet. Number two, a pitcher. Number three, a torch. That's all we're going to need. Now, how would you have felt if you were handed these three things heading into battle? It's all these boys are given, a trumpet, a pitcher, and a torch. And now for the battle plan, which is even crazier. Gideon says, watch me, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of camp, do exactly as I do. And when I and all who are with me blow your trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. That's it. That's the plan. Toot your horn, break your pitcher, give a yell. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of camp at the beginning of the middle watch. Just after they changed the guard, they blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars. Grasping the torches in their left hands and holding their right hands the trumpets they were to blow, they shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying as out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled. 
Now get this, the Israelites did not kill a single person in this initial raid, leaving no room at all for anyone to take any credit. Now two things are certain about this battle plan. Number one, the unmis- this unmistakably checks the weakness box. There's absolutely no room for anyone associated to, for this, in this victory to brag or to take credit. And number two, Gideon most assuredly is filled with peace to take even the first step into this battle. The Lord is peace. Jehovah Shalom. What I see in Gideon's story is a man who's flawed, kind of like me, a man who's trying, a man who wants to do what God is asking. I see a man who sees himself as inadequate and weak. Can you relate to that? And in Gideon's story, I see a God who understands, a God who is patient, a God who will wait for Gideon to catch up, and a God who offers a reservoir of peace. In Gideon's story, I meet a God who knows the power of peace. He knows how peace fuels us in moments when we feel weak. He knows how peace calms us when our opponents seem so large. He knows how peace envelops us to protect us from the potential descent into despair our darkest moments hold. What we see in Gideon's story is a God who will give us peace. He will even be our peace. He will assure us with peace when we doubt and when we're hesitant and when we're fearful and weak. He will give us peace through his presence. I will be with you, mighty warrior. The world began with shalom, the peace of God, in a garden unblemished with sin. And we know it will end in peace, a new heaven and a new earth. God will wipe away every tear from our eyes and every fear from our hearts. And there will be no more death, no more crying, no more pain. The city does not need the moon nor the sun to shine in it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. And he shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So here's the invitation this morning. Accept the peace Jesus offers. Try it out. Lean into his peace. Take it with you into your most difficult situation. Just just see if it makes a difference. Treasure it and trust the one who gives it. Go in the strength you have and remember what God says. I will be with you, mighty warrior. Let's stand and sing.